Amen. What a great honor that you've brought to the Lord as well as to your families for enduring, sticking in, in there, hanging with it, not giving up. And you were able to walk with earned degrees and uh, to go out into the world to make a difference for the Lord <clears throat> Jesus. And um, this coming, no, not this Wednesday, but on Wednesday, May 21st, we're having a family night, as Christy talked about with InReach. It's going to be a cookout right here on Wednesday night, May the 21st, and we're going to honor our graduates. That's going to kind of be the theme of that evening. Uh, just come on out. Uh, there is a sign-up, I do believe, or, or yes, see, tickets on sale in the lobby or online. $5 per person or $20 per family is the cap. And uh, the men's ministry, they will prepare the food that evening. So Peter and all the guys will get on the grills and hook that up on Wednesday. So come on out and let's have a good time. And then, uh, just so that you know, Wednesday nights during the summer, uh, first Wednesdays are going to be food and fellowship time. Uh, we're not going to meet on the second, third, and fourth Wednesdays throughout the summer. Uh, but on the first Wednesdays, time for us to build community with one another in June, July, and August. You can find more information on the website about that. This coming Wednesday, the men's ministry, we have our wrap-up session from the Kingdom Agenda. So uh, I'll see you guys here Wednesday at 630 and then finally, um, there were some people who responded two weeks ago to church membership. There may be others who are interested in church membership. Well, we have a class that is coming uh, Saturday, June the 7th. Um, so sign up in the lobby. And if you can't make it on a Saturday, we will adjust it. Also, this coming fall, um, we're going to have a pre-members class on Sunday mornings once we roll out our Christian Education Equipping Center on Sunday mornings. So a lot is going on. Uh, but I encourage you to peruse the website and that way you can understand and keep up with what's happening. All right, if you have your Bibles, would you turn over to Mark chapter 12? Mark chapter 12. I did not know they were going to sing that song. Like, I was feeling that song in my bones. And so I looked over to John like, hey, either you sing it or I'm going to sing it. I had no idea. Did you say, was it okay if I would? I was about to go into it. And I had no idea. I was going in. Man, I guess the Lord knew. Praise God. Man. Yeah, I want that posted on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all the things. I want that posted. Praise. I hope so. did, did somebody film that, Mama? Did you get that? Post that. Praise God. Put boys to men to shame, and it was just two of y'all. So I was about to come grab the bass. Man, that was all right. If you cried today already in church, would you just raise your hand? If you cried already, yeah, yeah, I'll pass this hanky around. <laughs> today I want to talk about a lady. I'm not sure if she was a mother or not. Nevertheless, she is a woman whose character and example should be applauded and even followed. As you'll see today, we do not know her name. Nevertheless, she makes a profound impact in the kingdom of God. I love how the Bible would say in certain translations, a certain man or a certain woman. And again, it doesn't give the name. And sometimes that may be a way for us just to kind of insert the names of certain people that we know or even ourselves. And it's just a reminder that God always uses ordinary 
people like you and like me, just certain, everyday, ordinary people to accomplish his will and his kingdom agenda. And in this passage that I'm going to read to you today, uh, this lady, not a mother, we're not sure, but she is a widow. She is a widow. We don't know her name. Um, and she's going to teach the 12 apostles. She's going to teach them without saying one word. And that's how you know you're a good teacher, that you can teach by example and not just through oratorical means. Because many times more is caught than taught. People are watching. And this woman is going to teach the 12. And now even 2,000 years later, she's going to teach us today. Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 41, reading from the New King James Version in the Bible reads, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Verse 42, then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty in all that she had her whole livelihood. So permit me today to borrow a title from Miss Anita Baker, and that is giving you the best that I got. Let's pray. Lord, you deserve our best. You desire our best. You loved us with an undying love, a love that was unconditional, a love that did die. Ultimately, you gave everything for us. And you call us to love you back with that kind of passionate love, that kind of love that even puts itself in harm's way and makes sacrifices. Would you teach us today as you wanted the disciples to see the example of this woman? Would you teach us today? We need your help through the Holy Spirit. Your word is true. It will not return void, but it will only make sense to us with your help. So, Lord, give us those application points as only you can as we walk through this passage together. Thank you for allowing us to convene together in your name. Be glorified today. Use me in spite of myself, and I promise to give you the praise, for we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Giving you the best that I got. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at Different stories and passages in the Bible that involve giving the Lord the best that we have. And as we begin with this nameless widow today, but definitely known to the Lord, there are three questions that emerge from the text. As I look at it, you may see more questions, but I see at least three that emerge. And the first question is, why is Jesus just sitting there watching people as they put their offering into the treasury. Why is he just sitting there and even not only watching, but coming to a place of judgment concerning what people are putting into 
the treasury. So why is he doing that? And then the second question is, why did he call his 12 disciples over to see this woman's example? What lesson did he have for them to learn from her concerning what she gave? And then another question I have is, Jesus said she put in more than everyone else. When she put in two mites, and as we'll discover today what a mite is, a mite is less than a penny. And Jesus said she put in more than those who gave out of their abundance than the rich. And so, Jesus, how can you say that when technically she did not put in more than everyone else? So those are some interesting questions to me. And as I delve into the text, my goal is to always answer the questions that arise from the text. So hopefully you'll be able to see some of the things that I see and be inspired by this woman. Well, as we're talking about money today, I, I want to let you know that although I'm talking about money, this sermon is not about money any more than this passage is about money. Yes, it mentions money, but it's not technically about money. Because listen to me on this, it never is about money. It's never about money. It's always about the condition of our hearts. Because when God has our hearts, he has everything attached to our hearts, including our treasure. And so it's not about money. This text today is about love. It is about love. And when you love someone, you're going to give that person the best that you got. When you love someone, you will even give until it hurts. Can I get an amen in here? When, when you love someone, you will give until it hurts. You will give everything you have. You will commit your will to meet the needs and even the desires of the person you are loving, no matter what you have to give up for that goal to be accomplished. That's agape love. So when we love God like this, we're going to give him the very best that we've got. He deserves it. He desires the best. And we will give to God until it hurts. And that's why the Bible talks about offering unto God a sacrifice of praise, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And I don't know any sacrifice that doesn't cost something, that doesn't involve pain. And it seems like sometimes as Christians, we don't have a high threshold for pain endurance. We want to give up quickly when it comes to love. But I don't know if you can love someone without there being some kind of pain involved. Because when you love God, you're going to give to him even when it hurts. You're going to give to God even uh, uh, until it hurts. And you'll give him everything because you love him. And you're only modeling the love that he demonstrated to us when he gave his best, the best that he had, his only begotten son. And Jesus gave his life. And so we only love because he first loved us and he is the definition of love. And thank God for help because Romans 5 verse 5 says that the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts and he allows us to love, to love. This doesn't originate with us. It originates, it comes from God. So when you love, you're going to love strong. You're going to give the best that you have to man and to God. So today on Mother's Day, we give you the best that we have. 
We will do the dishes without being asked. We will take you out to lunch and pick up the tab without sending you the, the bill. We will do whatever you need. And not only on this day, but it should be that way every day because we love you. Amen. Come on, somebody. Let's learn about this lady here. Look at verse 41. It says, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much. What we have here is the Passion Week of Jesus. This is going to be his last encounter in the temple area before he goes out and comes back into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Uh, matter of fact, that has already occurred, as a matter of fact. He's going to leave out, and he's going to tell the guys that this whole area is going to be destroyed at some time in the future, and we know that happened in A.D. 70. And so while he had been ministering that week, he was in the court of the Gentiles, because as he walked into the court of the Gentiles, or out of the court of the Gentiles, rather, he walks into the court of the women. Pastor, how do you know it's the court of the women? He was in the court of the Gentiles, then he leaves there and goes into the court of the women. How do you know that? Well, according to Jewish writings called the Mishnah, in the court of the women, they had these receptacles that would receive the offerings of the people of God. So as they walked up onto the Temple Mount, the area where the people of God would come to worship God on the temple area, they had these different courts. And there was a court for the Gentiles. There was a court for the women and a court for the uh, uh, teachers of the law. And so there was discrimination in terms of in each area where people could and could not go. And so Jesus, being a rabbi, being a teacher, he could flow freely from court to court. And so he leaves the court of the Gentiles where non-Jews could come and worship God. And he leaves there and he goes into the court of the women where the women were basically placed where that was the spot that they could go. They couldn't go beyond other areas. So there was segregation in the temple area. He goes into that area that was known to receive the money, according to the Mishnah. There were 13 <clears throat> trumpet-shaped receptacles that the people would come and put their coins in. And these receptacles were shofars or horns from animals. So they would take these shofars that normally they would blow, but they would also use them uh, to receive coins that the people would put into the treasury for the poor and just for basic maintenance of the temple area. These were free will offerings. This was not the tithe. This was just a gift to give to God. And so Jesus is sitting there, and he's watching how people are putting offerings in. And not only is he watching, he's also judging because he's going to say later, the woman put in more than everybody else, even though technically she put in less. So my question is, why is Jesus sitting there judging? Why is Jesus sitting there watching such a personal thing, such a private thing in terms of what I give to God? What gives him the right to sit there and watch what people put into the offering plate? Well, he has every right to watch because he is God. He has every right to watch because that is his father's house. And he has every right to be there and to judge the heart of the giver. And he's able to go past what is in people's hands and get to the heart because he is the omniscient God. We can fool some of the people some of the time, but we can't fool God any of the time. And I believe today we live in a culture 
not only with the world, but sometimes amongst Christians, where we want a Christ who will not judge the things that we do. We want a Christ who will not sit and watch our lives and take inventory and even hold us accountable. We don't want to be held accountable today, but I'm here to let you know that Christ does hold everybody accountable, not only Christians, but non-Christians alike. And the Bible lets us know that he is the judge. Judgment has been committed unto the son, and yes, he will judge. And that's what all the parables are about anyway. Because they're talking about stewardship. And stewardship involves so much more than handling money. It involves handling your talents and your time, uh, even your body. God is going to hold us accountable with what we did with what he gave us. He has every right to do that since all of it is his anyway. We don't own anything. We're just stewards or managers of his stuff. And as a God of order, he's going to hold us accountable. And for Christians, that's at the Bema seat of Christ, where he's going to judge our works. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is uh, one reference to this judgment day for Christians. Now, the good news is that on this judgment day, we will not be judged for our sins because that was already taken care of at Calvary. So when you put your faith in Jesus, when I put my faith in Jesus, I pass from darkness into light. I came out from condemnation and judgment from the Lord in terms of condemnation and receiving the penalty for my sin. I receive grace. I receive mercy. I receive forgiveness, adoption, on and on and on. So I am a son. I'm an heir of God. I'm seated in the heavenly places. I will never come under condemnation again, but that does not mean the Lord will not hold me accountable for what I do. So on the, uh, at the Bema Seat Judgment Day for Christians, sin won't be the issue. Service will be the issue. And our works will pass before the Lord. Our works will pass, and he will gaze on our works. And the fiery eyes of the Lord from Revelation chapter 2 and 3 will judge the, uh, uh, the veracity of our works. And if our works come forth as good works, things done from the heart to glorify the Lord... They'll come through the fiery gaze of Jesus like gold, silver, and precious stones. So he's looking at how we serve. He's looking at how we give. And he's going to hold us accountable for that on the day of judgment for Christians. But then if the things we do, you know, man, they're not done from the right motivation and all that stuff, the fiery gaze of Jesus is going to burn those things up as wood, hay, or straw. And Jesus will then add up our works, if you will, and give each one of us crowns. There are at least five different crowns mentioned in the New Testament. Now, I know we don't work to get saved. I know that. We are saved by grace through faith apart from works. However, Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. So I don't work to get saved. I work because I am saved. And I want to honor my king with how I serve him in day-to-day -day stuff. Because I do want to hear him say, well done. Well done, Chris. Well done, Chris. And I want, when he puts my works together, and hopefully I got some crowns of gold and all that stuff, he'll put it on my head. 
And I'll just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. That graduation cap that you put on, it was an honor to put that thing on. But like you told me this morning, you wouldn't have made it without the help of your husband. You know, and so when we get those crowns, we know we couldn't get these crowns on our own. He helped us. He motivated us. He empowered us to get anything good from him. But the good news is, too, on top of that is, according to the book of Revelation, we're going to take those crowns off and just cast them at his feet. I hope that I have something on that day to give back to Jesus for all that he's given to me. So he has every right to sit and watch. He has every right to sit and watch and judge each and every one of us, which should cause us to want to practice the presence of the Lord. He's just not in this place on Sunday. You do know that he's everywhere all the time, and he is watching. Now, he's not watching to beat us up or any of that kind of nonsense, but he is a God who holds us accountable, and we must give an account for our ability that he has given us, all of our resources. Yes, he's sitting and he's watching. This is another reason that for me, we need to pray for the people who collect the offerings at church. Because whereas Jesus is perfect, Jesus is sinless, he is God, he is pure, he can look at our offerings and make a judgment about our hearts and make a right judgment. But you and I don't have that ability, especially those who pick up the offering and count the offering, because sometimes if you're not careful, you'll look at the little that somebody gives and make a judgment about them that is probably off, or you'll look at a lot that somebody gives, and now you want to placate to that person and treat them with favoritism and all that kind of stuff. Uh-uh. So, so that's why I don't know who gives what at this church because it helps me to love all of y'all equally. Can somebody say amen? amen. <laughs> yeah, man. So we got to pray for those because Jesus can sit and watch about the money. But pray for Tony Bailey and his count team that they don't get judgmental and all that kind of stuff and start gossiping about what people give or what people don't give. Church should be a safe place, but it should also be a place where we hold one another accountable. But after we speak the truth, leave room for the Holy Spirit. Step back. You can't make somebody do something. Step back and let God touch their heart the way he's touching yours in terms of giving is concerned. All right, I think I beat that horse pretty good. Let me move on to verse 42. <laughs> then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. Poor widow. We don't know how she became a widow. Bible doesn't tell us that. We don't even know how she became poor. Once again, this is why we have to be careful when we see people on the street selling the contributor magazine for one dollar. When we don't know their story and it's so easy to judge them. Now, she may have been made poor according to verse 40. This is one plausible uh, way that she may have been made poor. Verse 40, it talks about how the scribes, Jesus says, they devour widows' houses. So she may have been taken advantage of by people in the system. She may have been taken advantage of by religious people who were supposed to look out for her, but they just took her, took her money. We see this in the Old Testament when there was a widow that owed some money because her husband died and there was debt, and they were going to sell the kids off to be able to take care of the debt. You just don't know what someone's situation is. And you don't know how someone became poor. So she was a poor widow. And the Bible says that a lady like this, who probably should have been receiving an offering, had enough, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Wherewithal 
an, even enough dignity to say, yeah, I know I should receive an offering. I, I know I'm qualified to receive an offering. But we see from this here, I don't care what your financial status is or is not, you still can participate in the joy of giving. So this is a multi-economic church. I can say things about race because we're multiracial. I can say things about culture because we're multicultural. And now I can say things about money because we're multi-economic. I can say stuff in here. Now, I'm going to say this. If you are poor, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago concerning what Tennessee and the United States determine someone living under the poverty line. If you are poor, that does not negate you from giving something to God in his service and in his work of your time and even of your treasure. Yes, you should receive, and yes, we should help you, but you should also be someone who gives back. You should also give an offering. You are not, let's see here, uh, 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 removed from the privilege and even the responsibility of giving because we have some people who all they want to do is receive all of the time. And they will take advantage of some of us and use guilt, especially if they're a minority and they want to play on white folks who are still trying to overcome all the slavery and say, if I give this person some money, maybe that'll make me feel better about the guilt that's heaped on my people. No, no, no. Because there are cons out there who will take advantage of you, who will take advantage of Christian people as well. So you got to have wisdom. But we want to encourage the poor in our congregation. Just don't receive all the time. You've got something to give. And as we see with this lady, all she had were two mites. And a mite, it comes from a Greek word, lipta, which comes from lipton, which means thin. So the money she gave was so thin, it could blow away if a breeze came. A lepta was one-eighth of a penny. So she put in two of them, two-eighths of a penny. So in our day and age, a penny, come on. So she gave less than a penny, but she gave something. And then Jesus is going to say, she gave more than even the rich folk. Because we're about to see, God is not concerned about the amount. God isn't hung up on what we get hung up on. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God always looks at the heart. It's not about what's in your wallet. It's about who and what is going on in your heart. He's looking at the heart. She put in all that she had. And then Mark gives us the Roman translation of this term. He says quadrants because he knew that there were Gentiles who would read his letter. So they may not understand mites, but they understand quadrants. And quadrants were 164th of a day's wage. A day's wage was a denarius. And so what she gave was 164th of a day's wage, and according to the Jewish economy, she gave less than one penny. My, my, my. But look at verse 43. So he, Jesus, called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. So he, he calls the guys over, and he says, I want you to see this. I want you to see this. Come look at this poor widow. Y'all don't know her. You don't know her name. And Jesus is like, I know everything about her. She's mine. I know every hair that's on her head. I know everything about her. She's precious to me. I love her. Guys, you don't know what I know, but I need you to know something right now that you don't know. Come look at this lady right here. She put in more than everybody else. So why did Jesus want the 12 to look at her? 
He wanted the 12 to look at her because he wanted them to see another example of someone who gave the best that they had. He wanted them to see another example of unconditional love that shows up in giving. You know, there's an old statement that says, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And because she loved God, it showed up in her offering. And he said, guys, you need to see this because y'all have been arguing about who the greatest is going to be. Y'all have been concerned with worldly mindsets and all that. Y'all need to see real love operating. And this lady is giving everything just like I'm about to give everything when I give it all on the cross. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm giving everything to God. I'm giving everything up. Come look at this lady. She gave everything up, which means she is is a type of Jesus Christ. She is a picture of Jesus Christ. And guys, because you can be so selfish, so concerned about consumerism and materialism and try to elevate yourself a status, come look at this lady. She doesn't care about any of that kind of stuff. She is teaching these guys without saying one word. Here's the good news. Not only will the 12 have Jesus ultimately as their example in terms of how to love to the point of dying and giving everything up, they have this woman to think about as well, that she gave everything. She emptied her pockets. This message is not about money. It's about love. It's about the condition of the heart. And each one of those disciples, minus Judas, all gave their lives sacrificially for the sake of the kingdom. So they got the message. They gave God everything. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome with a spike driven through his head. It is believed from the Fox's Book of Martyrs that Matthew was put inside of a hollow log and sewn in two. James was killed and beheaded by the sword of Herod. These guys gave everything they had. Jesus gave them a picture, a demonstration. Give it to us, Lord. And then we see that he said, she put in more than everybody else. Jesus, how can you say that? Now, now the rich people put in out of their abundance. She grabbed this thing, less than, two cent, less than one penny, two mites, put it in. Jesus said she put in more. Now, either, stay with me, either Jesus is not good at math, Or his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his math is different than our math. So let's leave the natural realm for a minute, where in the natural realm, one plus one equals two. But in the kingdom, one plus one equals one when you're married. I'm just here to talk to you about math for a minute. That, that wasn't my best subject. But I get it a little bit better in the kingdom because God doesn't add the way that we add. For when one man marries one woman under one God for one covenant, one plus one equals one flesh with God. And every marriage gets in trouble when the two people start acting like individuals and not like one flesh. Uh, that was for free. I just dropped that off for free. <laughs> Do what you want with that. But when you got two visions about how to raise the kids, two visions on how to uh, 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 give to the Lord, two visions about where we're going to live, how we're going to spend money. When you got two visions, 
you got die vision. And when you got two visions, the vision is going to die. So it's incumbent upon the husband and the wife to be one in everything. Because with God, one plus one equals one. With God, the Godhead, one plus one plus one does not equal three. One plus one plus one equals one. You see, one God, the Father, one Son, one Holy Spirit. These three are one. This is the mystery of the Godhead. Colossians talks about the Godhead, the fullness of the Godhead lived in Christ Jesus. He is God. The Father is God. The Spirit is God. It's a mystery how these three are not three different gods. They are one God existing eternally together as one. It's a mystery because God's math is a lot different than our math. And uh, let me give you another one. Uh, When it's time to feed over 5,000 people, maybe 20,000, The disciples ask a question based on their logic sheet. They pulled it out and said, wait a minute, we don't have enough to feed all of these people. Jesus said, what do you have? We found a little boy. He's got two fish and five loaves of bread. Jesus said, "Uh, go ahead and bring that to me. That's enough to feed everybody out here. And the disciples are like, what kind of math are you using right now? Because you don't want to mess with people who are already hungry and you tell them, sit down because we're going to feed you. If you don't have food coming out there, it's about to turn into a violent situation quickly. But Jesus said, tell them to sit down. And he didn't even tell them that he was about to turn sardines and crackers into a Moby Dick sandwich. He didn't even tell them all of that. He said, follow my word. Tell them to sit down. Put them in groups. And I can see the disciples now. What is he doing this time? All right, okay, sit down. You sit down. Count them up. One, two, three, four, five, six, 100. One, two, three, four, 1,000. Everybody sitting down? Yes, Jesus, they sitting down and they looking real angry right now. <laughs> Give me that little boy's lunch. That little boy brings that lunch. Jesus lifts it up to the Father, and he thanks God for the little bit. Yeah. Next thing you know, he starts breaking it because you know you can't multiply till you're broken. He starts breaking it. And breaking it 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 and breaking it. And next thing, everybody's eating. They got hot sauce out there. They are throwing down out there. And God even blessed so much, they can't even eat it all. They're going to pick up 12 basketfuls of fragments left over. They started with a little bit, and God gave them a lot because his math is not like our math. She put in more than they put in. I'm not impressed with somebody dropping in a million dollars. I'm not it. It's all mine anyway. The gold is mine. The silver is mine. My math is different. Has anybody in here ever come to the end of the month and you got more month than you got money in your pocket and somehow, some way, he was able to work the situation out and get you through? It don't add up on paper. How did you get through college? You don't have money for college, but you walk in on graduation day. How did it work out? He worked it out. Oh, Jesus will work it out if you let him. Somebody know that song from back in the day. Lady said, this problem that I had. And then she talks about couldn't pay my light bill. Baby didn't have no shoes. Some of us don't understand that, but some of us know it very well, that he knows how to make a way out of no way. Thank God his math is not the way I add up because, man, the way I add it just doesn't work, but he's able to do it. Jesus said she put in more based on his math skills because for Jesus, it's not the portion, but it is the proportion. Proportion. 
She gave sacrificially. She gave everything. They skimmed off the top of their wealth. She scraped off the bottom of her poverty. Jesus said she put in more proportionately, and that's what he's concerned. Some of us have been stuck at 10% for about 30, 40 years. Come on now, 10% is a great place to aim for and launch from. But launch from, let's get above giving God 10%. You can give more. Matter of fact, for God, it's not so much what we give to him, it's what we keep from him. And he wants to even flip it where we are giving more than we're living off. That's how we know we're growing in this grace called giving. Oh, I got a long way to go, but I'm here to let you know your pastor is a giver by the grace of God. And I give more than 10%. We give more than 10%. We're going to keep on giving to God and even to ministries because, man, it's more blessed to give than to receive. We're more like God when we forgive and when we give. But when we hold and hoard, when we try to consume and build bigger barns, God says, you fool, you can't take none of that stuff with you. Send it ahead. Lay up treasures in heaven. Moths can't get up in there. This is a new jacket. But man, let me tell you, the moths are waiting to eat this bad boy up. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to put on a robe. The moths can't do nothing to that robe. And them gold slippers I'm going to be walking in, baby. Oh, man. Lord, give me an eternal view. What is this stuff to you? It's nothing. Mm, she did not get robbed. Now, I've got financial planners in here because some would criticize this lady, saying uh, she gave everything. That was not wise. Mike and Gary and all of our other financial planners, we thank God for your discipline. We need it. We need to have an emergency fund. We need to save. We need to invest. All of that good stuff. We need to set budgets. But this lady must have heard from God. Give everything you've got. And when somebody hears from God and it doesn't make sense to us, we just need to step back and let that person do what they have been called to do by God. Because, yes, yeah, she should have put some money away for a rainy day, but she's like, look, it's been raining already. It hit, Lord, just take it all. And she gave everything to the Lord. Mother Teresa has said, if you give what you do not need, it is not giving. Just think about it. If you give what you don't need, it's really not giving. Giving ought to hurt us. And for some of us, when we give God that tithe, or when we give God more than a tithe, man, that hurts because we know that money could go on something else. That money could go, no, but I'm giving it to God. I'm going to test him in this because it ain't about the money. It's about where my heart is with him. And I'm going to give it freely because he gave it freely to me. Here, Jesus, take it. And I'm not giving to get. But there is a law of the kingdom that when I give, I'm going to get it back. Pressed down, shaking together, running over. Man, I'm going to get it back. So the Bible doesn't say how this story ended. But do you think Jesus let this woman walk away from there after giving everything and he not provide for her needs when she left there? If you think he didn't take care of her, you don't know my God. I know he hooked this woman up. I bet when she walked away from the offering, there was a dove coming through there with a fish sandwich on his back to bless this lady right there. Because you can't outgive God. 
God is not going to let you give more than he's going to give. Because for kings, when you give to a king like Sheba gave to Solomon, she brought this envoy to give to him. And it was tonnage of goods. But he gave her more than she gave him because no king is going to let you take glory from him in terms of giving a bigger gift. She gave a big gift. He gave a bigger gift because he's King Solomon arrayed in all of his glory. You won't walk away saying, I gave the king more than he gave me. And Jesus, the king of all kings, will never let you outgive him. Test him in this. Give to him and watch him open up some windows and pour out blessings you don't have room enough to receive. And he's giving you those blessings so that you can keep on giving them away. He's giving them so you can give them. He's giving them so we can give them. This lady reminds us of what Jim Elliott said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. She said, I can't keep this money. I'm going to go ahead and give it away. And she ended up gaining something with Jesus that she would never lose. But those rich people, they gave their money. But uh, they had their award and their applause down here with men. But I want the applause of heaven. This passage in conclusion is not about money. It's about love. And when there is love, there is commitment and sacrifice. This poor widow loved God and it showed in her offering she gave God the best that she had. So the question as the band comes, will we, will you, will I give him the best that we have? He deserves it, does he not? He laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for him. Because Jesus said if we try to hold our lives, we're going to lose it. But if we lose our lives for his sake, then we'll find it. Oh, man, if you're struggling with your giving, again, it's not about the money. The money's just a test. It's about your heart. And God wants you to know about this grace of giving. Not only in church, but to all kinds of efforts to see his kingdom advanced. Would you stand with me now as we close in a moment of worship and reflection? Because, Lord, I'm going to give you everything I got starting with my heart. Now, I once heard an author say, the only problem with living sacrifices, that's you and I based on Romans 12, is that every day the living sacrifice crawls off the altar or the living sacrifice puts its cross down. And God knows that we're going to struggle with sacrifice of our time, our talent, our treasure. We get it twisted and think it's about us, that this is our stuff. This is my time. It's all his. So if you've crawled off the altar, he wants to help you crawl back on. If you put your cross down and said, I, I just can't sacrifice anymore, I'm tired, he'll help you pick your cross up and say, you can do it, come on, because you only find life when you give it away when you give it away. So I give myself away, first and foremost, daily. Lord, here I am with all of my junk. Matter of fact, Lord, all I have are two mites. I don't have much energy. I don't have much time. I am a frustrated mother. I don't know what I'm going to do. And the Lord says, I'll take your mites. I'll take what you feel is going to blow away. You don't feel like you got it all. You got something. Just give me what you got. Watch me transform it into something that will blow your mind. 
We love you and we honor you. 